Hey there, fellow fabricators, stone shop owners from across the Fruited Plain and beyond. Ladies and gentlemen, don't want to forget you. This is the Fab Lab Podcast, and I am your host, Aaron Crowley. Episode 154, Storm Tactics. Now, if you haven't listened to the last episode, the three massive mistakes I made, it's a good one. Talking about economic storms, talking about the mistakes that I made during the 2008 through 2012 Great Recession. Those three mistakes were not knowing my numbers, hoping instead of planning, or hoping instead of cost-cutting, not having a cost-cutting plan in place, and I had too much debt. Those were three massive mistakes that I made, and in this episode... We're going to talk through those in terms of what can you proactively do, not just avoid making those mistakes, but what can you proactively do in the context of those three categories? What are the numbers that you need to know? It's important. What kind of cost-cutting plan? How would you plan to cut costs? And number three, what is your debt plan? What what are you going to do to assess the debt that you have and, and to prepare in the event that sales go down? So we're going to talk about that, but before we do, I want to mention a word from our sponsor, No Lift install system. Now, most likely you've had a fantastic year. You've got lots of profits, which downside of that means you've got lots of taxable income. And one way to reduce your taxable income is to make good investments in terms of equipment. And the no-lift install system is a piece of equipment that you could write off and depreciate fully before the end of the year, which would reduce the cost of the system by whatever percentage tax bracket you're in. So if you're in a 30% tax bracket, you're going to be able to basically write off 30% of the cost of the no-lift on your taxes come April. So it really effectively reduces the cost of the no-lift by a third. Now, On the other side of the coin, if you don't have profits, if you're getting to the end of the year and you're like, wow, we haven't made any money, you might think, well, I guess the upside is that we don't have any taxable income to tax. Well, what I would say to you is you also need to invest in a no-lift install system for next year because the no-lift is going to improve your bottom line. And remember, that's the whole point of this whole granite countertop business thing is to build a business that makes you money. And the no-lift will make you money. Number one... Your installers are going to be more efficient. They're going to be more productive. They're going to get more done with less time. You're going to reduce your shop labor expense because you're not sending guys in the shop out to the field. You're going to reduce breakage. That's huge. And you're also going to reduce your turnover and retraining, losing good installers to physical injuries due to the wear and tear on their bodies. And so whether you've made a bunch of money or you need to make a bunch of money, the solution is the same. The no lift install systems. So visit noliftsystem.com. There are some special promotions going on right now before the end of the year that you ought to take advantage of. Okay, now let's get back to our episode here today. What is the plan? What are our storm tactics? What are we going to do in advance to prepare before we sail into this storm? What can we do? So we're going to talk about knowing the numbers. Now, there's a couple of aspects to this. In the last episode, I mentioned that the daily dollar demand that you've heard me talk about here on the Fab Lab podcast, I discovered that, I learned that trying to understand why we were losing so much money back in the early part of 2008. And so it's something that I talk about right now. It is the dollars that contribute to the operation of your business, basically taking your sales, subtracting your material from that and saying everything left over, those are the dollars that contribute to, number one, all of your costs, number two, your profit, number three, your salary. You need to know your daily dollar demand, not how many square feet, not how many kitchens, not how many job sites. 
You need to know how many dollars your business requires right now, today, this month. How many dollars does it require you to generate on a monthly basis based on your activity of installing those square feet or those jobs to cover all of the costs that you've got fixed and your variable, meaning your overhead and your labor. You also need to be able to cover your profit. What profit do you hope to make? And you need to be paying yourself. So that daily dollar demand has got to cover that. And that is the single most important number you have to know heading into a storm. Well, that, that's just something you need to know whether we're you know heading into an economic storm or not. You need to know that so that you can forecast, you can project, and you can manage your business so you know what to do to generate the work that's going to generate the dollars, that's going to generate the profit after it pays you a salary. So number one, you got to know your daily dollar demand. Number two, the number you need to know and be watching. And I've talked about this. I think I've called it the canary in the coal mine. I think I've called it leading indicators. I've talked about this on numerous, numerous occasions here on the Fab Lab podcast. But your quote volume is a leading indicator. It is the canary in the coal mine. As long as your close ratio, meaning if you quote 10 jobs every month and you close five of them consistently every month over time, you have a 50% close ratio. So assuming your close ratio stays the same, your quote volume is the leading indicator that is telling you, hey, quote volume is down by 20%. 30%, 50%. If you're tracking that, if you're watching that on a daily, weekly, or at minimum a monthly basis, I would argue you should be watching that every day and, and bare minimum every week. If you have been tracking that, if you see the trends in your business over time, you know consistently over time what the average quote volume is that generates on a consistent close ratio, how much business you have. That's probably what you've arranged your business around in terms of your overhead and your fixed or your variable costs. And that's what generates the profit and your income. But if that quote volume drops, it's giving you a 45 to 60 day advanced notice. It's a warning. It's a signal. It's like a radar. Beep, 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 beep. Hey, start paying attention, man. Quote volume's down. And when Unless your close ratio goes up, which is rarely the case in a downturn, it's actually going to probably decline because everybody starts cutting their prices and it gets more fierce in terms of the competition. But let's just assume your close ratio stays the same. If your quote volume starts to drop, folks, that is telling you that's a storm cloud on the horizon. That is a squall. That's black clouds and rain over there on the horizon. And if it's coming your way, you can see it across the water. Oh, that's moving in my direction. Now, if you're paying attention... You can reduce sales and you can prepare the boat and yourself for when that storm or that squall hits the boat. But if you're not paying attention and you got full sail up and that big windstorm, that big storm hits, boom, it can capsize your boat or the weight. So quote volume is telling you what's going to happen in your business in 45 to 60 days. So that's the second number you need to be watching. It's a number you got to know. Again, this is true whether the storm's coming or not, but it's particularly true in forecasting, basically a weather forecast, well, your quote volume is a forecast for your sales. Now, thirdly, the numbers you need to know, how familiar are you with your loans? Now, we're going to get into this later on when we start talking about debt, but this is this is something that most of us, at least myself, hey, they gave me the money. Do I really care about the particulars? Did I really read the loan documents? No, I did I, I didn't even glance at them. I didn't even skim them. <laughs> I, I just signed. I just want the money. Give me the money. Show me the money. Where do I sign? Loan goes in the drawer. 
never to be looked at again until an economic downturn. And uh, you need to understand the terms of the loans that you have, whether they are equipment loans, vehicle loans, or most importantly, which we're going to talk about, your unsecured lines of credit. They have what are called covenants. You need to know the terms because when things get dicey, those terms can change to the bank's advantage. So number one, your daily dollar demand. How many dollars do you need to generate to produce a profit? And that's going to become really, really important in this next segment that we're going to talk about. Your cost-cutting plan is a true, pure, total reflection of what the dollar you're generating. You've got to get your costs in line with those dollars. Uh, number two, your quote volume. It's your leading indicator. And number three, what are the terms of the loans that you have? Now, let's talk about your plan. In the last episode, the mistake that I made was hoping not cost-cutting. I had a I guess you could say a, a, a plan. My plan was very general. It was, I hope to survive. <laughs> I hope to get through the downturn with my crew. I hoped to, to avoid laying off my people in the event that sales bounced back the next month. I didn't want to be caught without a crew and unable to do the work, but that was not a very good plan. What I needed to do was cut costs, not hope that sales would increase. So what's the plan? Thinking in advance... What decisions do I have to make in the business to keep it profitable or at least to break even in the event that sales do decline? Like you're watching your quote volume. Hey, quote volume is shrinking two, three months in a row. It's down by X percentage. We've now chewed through our backlog. All of a sudden now we got gaps in the schedule that we're having a hard time filling. If that quote volume, which produces your sales, doesn't produce enough daily dollar demand or the dollars necessary to run the business, you can wait until you've lost money for three or four months to then go, okay, what do we need to cut? Or you could plan in advance. What's your cost-cutting plan? What are the various stages or levels with which you can reduce costs? Now, there are some costs you can't reduce. Most likely, the landlord isn't going to be real thrilled about giving you a break on your rent. Now, if you own the building, the bank is definitely not going to give you a break on the mortgage. So that's fixed. Managers that you don't want to let go of, those are fixed. That's a sum, you know, assumption that's baked into the cake. You know, I'm going to have those folks on staff no matter what. So really the only place you've got to cut a little bit of your consumables, which are probably in the five, maybe three to five, six percent range of your overall total cost of sales. Your biggest expense, the biggest dent, the biggest place where you're going to lose money is by not cutting your labor. Now this is not fun. This is brutal. And lack of a plan will allow your emotions to prevail. That was my mistake, folks. So I'm speaking from experience here. If you don't have a plan, if you don't have an if-then, if quote volume reduces and we don't improve our close ratio, which it's going to mean that our daily dollar demand is on, if our daily dollar demand, if our sales gets to this level, then we have to cut costs at this amount to keep the business profitable or at least break even if you want to get through it without losing a bunch of money or all that money that you made this year and giving it back in terms of mismanagement of the company, which is what I did in 2008, 9, so on and so forth. So the plan, you basically have to assess the business. Now, you take some educated guesses, you, you make some assumptions, and you say, well, okay, in the event that our revenue dropped by 20%, let's just say, Quote volume drops by 20%, but we keep our close ratio the same. So now our revenue is down by 20%. You could do a real simple calculation. Well, how much money did you make last month? We had a 10% profit. Well, great. If you have a 20% decline in sales, rough math would suggest you're going to have a 10% loss 
if you don't do something about your variable expenses. And so you need to start making some of those educated guesses, making some assumptions, saying, hey, assuming sales were down by 10%, you know what? We could get by. We're profitable enough. We wouldn't have to cut anybody. Well, great. You're running a really profitable business. It'd be good to know that going in as opposed to not knowing and then wondering what happened three weeks after the month ends and you get the P&L and you go, uh-oh, looks like we're losing money. So making those assumptions, the scenarios, if you were you know, projecting or forecasting, running those theories based on a 20% decline in sales, my fixed costs, they're not going down. The rent's not going down. The mortgage isn't going down. My overhead's not going down. How much of my labor do I have to cut in terms of dollars? Now, if you've got $30 an hour guys and $20 an hour guys, you have to cut more $20 an hour guys, (laughs) which cuts into your productivity. And managers who are managing are typically paid more. So this is this double-edged sword where it gets really, really emotional and really, really tough to make these decisions. Because I can let one manager go who's making 30 an hour and isn't necessarily producing as much. Not to say they're not doing anything, but when push comes to shove and you got to get countertops out to generate the dollars that contribute to the profitability of the business and paying the bills, well, who's producing and who's not? So you got to factor that in. Who can I afford to keep and who do I have to let go? You let one manager go, that's the equivalent of one and a half operating level employees. But if you let those one and a half level, you know, one and a half operating level employees go, then you lose the production and the output. And so thinking through this, scratching this out on paper, running some scenarios, some forecasts, some simple calculations, you just project and forecast what kind of cost cutting, not just how much do you have to cut, but who do you need to cut? And who do you need to keep to keep the countertops running through the shop and getting to the job site? So that's your plan. It's your if-then cost cutting plan. If sales drop to this level, then I have to cut cost here, here, and here. Not fun stuff, not pleasant stuff, but this is business, folks, in a down economy. So now let's talk about your debt plan. What do you do with the debt that you've got? Well, obviously, if you could wave a magic wand and make it disappear, that would be nice. But most likely, the bank isn't going to tolerate that. And so we got to just think through it again, not trying to create panic, not trying to create fear, not trying to pull a Dave Ramsey on you and berate anybody for having debt. Again, that was one of the biggest mistakes that I made in the 2008 to 2012 Great Recession was having too much debt. It worked when my sales were at that peak level because I borrowed money and invested in equipment up to that peak level. But when the peak you know, became a decline, those principal and interest payments stayed the same and um, got real, real, real and real uncomfortable. And so just assessing where is your debt is at and what are some contingencies that you can make. So I got a couple of thoughts on this. I want to start with a quote by Jeff Bezos. Now, you you can take my word for it. I mean, I past experience, too much debt made that really, really, it was hell. Go back and listen to the last episode if you haven't listened to it. My experience when my line of credit was pulled by the bank. Not fun. But let's, let's instead of listening to me, let's See what Jeff Bezos has to say. I mean, he's a moderately successful guy. As of today, I checked the Forbes list. As of today, December 8th, he's the fourth richest man in the world worth 150 billion. I can't remember what it was. It was over 150 billion. Billion. Founder, owner, or largest shareholder of Amazon. So here's what Bezos said just a couple of weeks ago. Now, interesting. You would think he wouldn't want to 
negatively affect people's purchasing. This is a consumption economy, and a lot of people consume a lot of things on Amazon, and people buying less would affect his pocketbook. But here's what he said. This is a quote from the article. He was interviewed. Bezos urged people to put off expenditures for big-ticket items such as new cars, televisions, and appliances, things that people buy off of Amazon, noting that delaying big purchases is the surest way to keep some dry powder in the event of a prolonged economic downturn. Now, we're going to talk about what dry powder means to a fabricator heading into a potential recession or downturn. But he continued, Meanwhile, small businesses may want to avoid making large capital expenditures or acquisitions during this uncertain time, Bezos added. So I guess the first way to look at this is, you know, if we're looking like there's a storm on the horizon, adding to your debt is probably the surest way to to stop the bleeding. The easiest thing to do is to not add to the debt that you already have. Now, there may be things that you really need, and as I just mentioned in the uh, the sponsorship moment with no lift, you know, buying a piece of equipment, that's a moderately priced piece of equipment. But you, you know, here he says, large capital expenditures or acquisitions, those are big, 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 big consequential type purchases. I'm not going to define what those are, but one way to limit your debt is by not to increase it on the eve of a major or even a moderate downturn. So now what does he mean by dry powder? What he means by that is basically not doing exactly what I did do in 2008 and 2009. I spent all of our dry powder, which was our cash and our available credit, on an unprofitable operation. I used cash and debt to fund an unprofitable operation. And what he is saying is don't do that. Keep your powder dry. Keep some cash on hand. Don't tap out your line of credit heading into a downturn. The way I like to analogize this is if you're out, let's say, driving your four-wheel drive in two-wheel drive and you decide to take off the road and maybe drive down into a ravine, You think you can do it? It's working pretty well. Well, if you get stuck, well, good news. You got four-wheel drive. So if you've got a newer vehicle, turn the knob, engage four-wheel drive, back out, get yourself out of the, the situation, and then return to the road. That would be keeping your powder dry. The fact that you have four-wheel drive in reserve, meaning you're not using it to get into the situation, you're using it to get out of the situation. Now, a problem would be to lock four-wheel drive in and then continue down into the ravine. (laughs) Because if you get stuck again, you have no more reserves. There is no plan C in that scenario. And so having some reserves on hand, keeping your powder dry, keeping cash or your lines of credit not completely tapped to the limit. Now, here's one other thing that you can do. Now, I'm talking about reducing debt or not increasing your debt or how to keep some reserves on hand. I'll just mention this. This is not a phrase I came up with. The easiest time to borrow money is when you don't need it. So let's just say right now, for whatever reason, you're a little tight on cash. I would consider finding some alternative sources of liquidity, shall we say. Perhaps While times are good, while your business is profitable, while your financials show a profitable operation, the best time to go get a line of credit, not to spend on equipment, 
not to spend financing unprofitable operations, but to have some dry powder in reserve in the event that, boy, things get bad, and then they get worse than we thought they were going to be. And I didn't quite implement my cost-cutting plan fast enough because I was hoping things would turn around. I pulled an Aaron Crowley, a la 2008. And it looks like, you know, now we need to engage four-wheel drive. We either need to lock the hubs or turn the knob, and we got to back out of this situation Having a little bit of credit on hand, having some available liquidity is perhaps a wise choice. But the best time to get access to that liquid or liquidity, liquid cash in the form of a line of credit, is now, before you need it. Because if you wait until you're stuck in the ditch financially and your finances or your financials are showing months of lost money and the fact that you spent all your money, trust me. Going out and finding a bank that wants to take that risk when everybody and everything else has fallen apart, it just reduces the likelihood you're going to find some of that dry powder. And so that is the third aspect of just basically your debt plan. How are you going to deal with the debt that you've got? And so, fellow fabricator, let's pray, let's hope, let's pray that an economic storm doesn't hit the stone industry or the building industry. But, you know, hope is not a plan. And praying that even, you know, while effective, isn't necessarily a replacement for planning. You, 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 I I remember being told, don't purposefully put yourself into a position where you need a miracle to get you out of it. In other words, don't drive to the bottom of the hill in four-wheel drive because it will take a miracle to get you out of there or somebody to drive down in there with four-wheel drive and and a winch perhaps to drag you out. So if you don't have a rich uncle or a rich parent who can drag you out of this hole, don't 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 just close your eyes, stick your head in the sand, and hope that this thing blows over and continue business as usual. The folks that plan for the worst and then hope for the best, even if the storm hits, they're going to be prepared. They will have developed their storm tactics, and even if the waves get big and the wind howls, and they're holding on for all they're worth, they're going to come out the other side. They're going to get to their destination, and the folks... We're just hoping that the storm doesn't hit and they continue business as usual without any regard or any preparation or any planning. They may not make it through this. And so you, fellow fabricator, I hope you are planning. I hope that you are thinking about this. I hope you are considering what um, may be on the horizon and that you are taking appropriate action. In the meantime, while sales are good, while the business is profitable, while things are going well, this is the best time to plan. It's the best time to prepare for an economic storm. And so, ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, I'm so glad you tuned in to the Fab Lab podcast. Make sure you check in next week for the next episode. Until then, happy fabricating. <laughs>